Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, episode 24, recorded Sunday, January 26th, 2020. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hello again, everyone, and thank you for listening to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Cincerapino. Here we are. It's the last weekend of January 2020. It's been a pretty mellow weather month here in January, although last weekend we did have a little bit of snow as we headed up to the Boston area. But now we're really turning our attention to spring. The days are getting longer, and we'll see what the groundhog has to say in a week or so about winter. I'm pretty much guessing we're still going to have six weeks left. February can be a pretty brutal weather month up here in New England. But before that, I have a few things I want to cover today, and I hope you enjoy the show. Who doesn't like traveling to a fantastic location for a full week or more of incredible diving? I know I do, and I can't wait until my next adventure. We do a lot of research and planning and putting together an exciting travel program, and our schedule is normally laid out a year or more in advance. Also, we know that a lot of people want to plan out their trips scheduling-wise with school, work, and their vacations. A lot of times, you may need to make some investment to ensure you have your trip booked. For example, I suspect we're like most other dive shops who require a non-refundable deposit to lock in your trip. And as we know, things happen, and you might not be able to go on that trip. So what do you do? Well, we highly recommend that you consider purchasing trip insurance or travel insurance. I suspect everyone is familiar with insurance. You pay a premium to a company to protect something like a car or home, and then if something happens, you can file a claim. But let's dive a little deeper into travel insurance, specifically for the scuba industry, because we're a little bit different. Now, there are a number of plans out there that you can purchase, and you can go out there on the Internet and search for some, but I'm going to talk about two of them specifically that are related for scuba diving travel. And that's from Divers Alert Network, they offer a product. And then there's another company, Dive Ashore, that also offers a product. I'm very familiar with the Divers Alert Network trip insurance because I've had it for a number of years. They have three different uh, options for single trip coverage. They have a basic, a premium, and elite. And essentially, the the higher you go, uh, the more coverage you get. They also have uh, something called annual trip insurance for two or more trips. Those also have three plans. There's the traveler, the explorer, and the voyager. Now, they all cover medical expense, trip cancellation, interruption, delays, uh, baggage coverage. Um, They're all very much the same, whether it's a single trip or multi-trip. You can go out to their website or search on Google. I personally have the annual trip insurance from Dan. 
Fortunately, I haven't had to use it. Now, the premiums are all based on where you live, so you have to put your state in there as well as your age because of the medical coverage in, involved. Now, DiveAssure is very similar to Dan. You also become a member of DiveAssure, and they offer dive accident insurance much like the uh, Dan does. And on their uh, travel insurance, they also have single-trip insurance that you can get a standard deluxe or elite or you can get uh, a single package that covers multiple trips. So they're very similar in, in their coverage. Now, to test this out, I went and tried to look at uh, getting a quote for a trip that we have upcoming in October to Bonaire. And I put all the parameters in both sites, my uh, where I live and my age, and um, the quotes came back pretty close. For example... Dan came back on their basic coverage to be $117, while DiveAssure came back at $127. I think there's a little bit difference in, in coverage, but they're very, very close. The interesting thing about DiveAssure, though, was I tried to look at putting in a trip to Key Largo, and it wouldn't let me do anything for uh, trips within the United States. So that was a little bit different. But again, um, if you're going on that special trip, that once-in-a-lifetime trip or bucket list trip or just any trip that you're scheduling for your scuba diving, we highly recommend that you consider travel insurance because, as we know, things happen and you want to protect that investment. Did you see the latest update from NOAA Climate? 2019 was the second warmest year on record. It was 2.07 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than the pre-industrial average. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. No doubt in my mind that CO2 emissions are a major contributor to this record year. There are a lot of options out there to reduce the CO2 output. From time to time on the show, I'm going to try to talk a little bit about some of those ways, what's going on right now, and update the discussion. Today, the state of wind power in the United States. A source of a lot of good information on wind power in the United States is at the American Wind Energy Association, or AWEA.org site. The American Wind Energy Association is a national trade association for U.S. wind energy. It promotes wind energy as a clean source of electricity for the American consumer. Now, AWAE is led by a guy named Tom Kiernan. He's the president and CEO. And he was the past uh, president of the National Parks Conservation Association, which he led for 15 years. He was a deputy assistant admin at the EPA, and he was also president of the Audubon Society of New Hampshire. Now, the AWAE site is really cool. There's a lot of great information out there, especially if you click on the tab that's called Wind 101, and it gives you a lot of wind facts at a glance. It's a highly visual and interactive site. There's something really cool out there, which is a map showing the wind capacity by state, so you can see where your state stacks up. If you live in Texas, you're by far the biggest producer of uh, wind energy with 27,000 megawatts. Iowa was a distant second at 9,000 megawatts. Now, Connecticut, 
we only produced five megawatts. So we're way behind. Some of the key facts, there was 100,125 megawatts of wind energy produced with 57,700 wind turbines across 41 states, including Guam and Puerto Rico. And that number has tripled in the last decade. In 2001, there was almost nothing from a wind power perspective. Kansas now leads the way with 36% of their energy being produced by wind power. Wind energy does reduce CO2. By how much? Well, in 2018, there were 201 million metric tons of CO2 avoided. Now, that's equivalent to reducing the emissions of 42.7 million cars. Not only that, it saves on water consumption, and it estimates there was 101.1 billion gallons of water uh, consumption being avoided at thermal power plants. Now, an interesting thing is their wind energy map. You can see all the wind-producing projects and the manufacturing facilities throughout the United States. You can zoom in on your state or location. Now, each one will give you the benefits of wind, wind in my community. There's an interactive map, the installed capacity, where your state ranks, the projects, turbines, things that are under, construct, uh, under construction, and or uh, the advanced development. It also gives you an, an idea of the equivalent number of homes being powered by uh, wind energy and the potential environmental benefits. One of the other great things is you can uh, download a fact sheet for your state. So as we go uh, forward in time, let's hope that the wind energy continues to expand in the United States and starts to uh, help reduce that number of uh, emissions of CO2 and starts reversing uh, these warmer years uh, on record. Did you have heroes when you were younger? Real heroes, real people. I'm of a certain age where my heroes were seven American pilots who became the Mercury 7 astronauts. These seven men, Alan Shepard, Gus Grissom, John Glenn, Wally Schirra, Gordon Cooper, Dee Clayton, and Scott Carpenter were who many young boys like me wanted to be. Like a couple of these guys, I followed them to the Naval Academy, but I didn't pursue being a pilot. That's another story. But like one of them, Scott Carpenter, I followed him to the ocean. Scott Carpenter was born in May of 1925, and he died in October 2013 at the age of 88. His path to becoming a Mercury astronaut is fascinating, and you can read all about that in his book that he co-authored with his daughter titled For Spacious Skies. It's a great read. But Scott was more than an astronaut. He was also an aquanaut. His only space flight was in May of 1962, and that was three months after John Glenn's orbital flight. And you can hear uh, Scott on John Glenn's flight with the uttering the phrase, Godspeed, John Glenn. Now, that was his only flight that he ever took in space. And there was a lot of controversy about it related to how he piloted the capsule and, and the landing. So with Scott not being able to fly again or not having a flight, he decided to pursue another path. In the book, 
that he co-authored with his daughter, they discuss how Scott was not scheduled to make another flight with NASA, so he decided to pursue something different. And he wanted to go to a lecture at MIT to hear Jacques Cousteau speak. And then he approached him with a proposal that he wanted to join Jacques Cousteau's divers. They had some dialogue, and, and Jacques determined that it might be a good idea if Scott worked with the U.S. Navy. Now, Scott wasn't even a diver. From the accounts in his book, he was exposed to the ocean when he was stationed in Hawaii, and they talk about him snorkeling with his family off of Eva Beach. I can remember being out at Eva Beach for some softball games when I was stationed out there in the Navy. I guess being a national hero has some advantage. So he was able to connect with George Bond, who was heading up the Navy's saturation diving program at the time and planning Sea Lab 1. Scott joined the program. First, he needed to learn how to dive. Obviously, not that great of a challenge for someone who ventured into space. He was supposed to be part of the crew on Sea Lab 1, but right before the mission, he crashed his motor scooter in Bermuda, the site of Sea Lab 1. And it was a pretty bad accident, and he was had, had to be evacuated. Now, they didn't know if Scott was ever going to be able to dive again. But he was cleared. And actually, he was named CO of the Sea Lab 2 mission, which was going to be off California in 200 feet of water. And it was actually a nice habitat where 10 men would live for 15 days each. Scott stayed for 30. While on that mission, uh, he got stung by a scorpion fish and was in pretty bad and painful uh, state, but there was cause for concern, but uh, he stayed it out for the 30 days. Now, while Scott was on there, they, they, there's a film that the Navy had produced. It's in the vintage archives. It's about 30 minutes long, and you can look at it. It goes into all of the Sea Lab 2, and it shows Scott playing the ukulele while he's down on, in Sea in Lab 2. Um, and then there's also a scene where he's talking to Gordon Cooper, one of his Mercury 7 uh, buddies who was on a Gemini flight at the time. So he was talking from uh, the ocean floor to uh, the Gemini uh, capsule that was uh, in orbit. And Scott was going to be part, you know, of, of C-Lab 3, but uh, he was no longer able to dive. Uh, so he wasn't cleared for saturation diving. So then, therefore, he went back to NASA where he was working with the astronauts. And one of the things that was interesting is he was instrumental in introducing the pool training as a simulator for weightlessness in space. At first, they were very skeptical about doing it, but it proved to be uh, quite innovative. So uh, Scott Carpenter was not only an astronaut, he was also an aquanaut. Uh, he was one of my heroes growing up, and a great American hero, and another link in our diving history. Well, as we close out January of 2020, I want to thank you again for listening to Scuba Shack Radio. Hope you're enjoying the show. As always, we would very much appreciate if you would like us uh, on our uh, podcast app, on your favorite podcast app, whether it's iTunes, Stitchers, Google Play, wherever you're listening, we hope you like the show. 
Also, take a look at our uh, Scuba Shack Radio Facebook page. There's a lot of great information out there. I put some uh, fillers in for different things we talk about on the show, have some polls going on, things like that. But I'll be back again in a couple weeks with another episode of Scuba Shack Radio. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.